Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, um, we just thank you again for this day and this opportunity to come and worship in your house. Heavenly Father, we just lift up our praises to you this morning, our praises of gratitude and thanksgiving. Lord, for a new year, for the opportunity to fellowship, Lord, we just magnify your name and we praise your name. Lord, we come before you um, as sinners. Lord, we know we are sinners. And Lord, if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and your truth is not in us. Lord, but if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. So we lift up our sins to you now. Lord, we ask for pure hearts. Lord, we ask you to remove whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever might be keeping us from fully worshiping you, from fully entering into your presence. Lord, I pray that there might be nothing in the way of our worshiping of you this morning, of our hearing from your Holy Spirit this morning. Lord, I pray that you would just give us clear, clean hearts and clear consciences, Lord. And we thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for, Lord, the, the opportunity, again, to just come and worship, Lord. This is a, an opportunity that many do not get. Lord, we thank you for our lives. We thank you for our freedom. Lord, we thank you for friendship and fellowship. We thank you for this church. Lord, we just... We long to be people marked by thanksgiving. And Lord, so please, if anything, Lord, I pray that you would just give us opportunities to offer you thanks and opportunities to show those around us that we are people of thanksgiving. Lord, but we are also needy people. And Lord, we lift up our needs to you. Lord, we have so much to ask for, so much that we need. Lord, I lift up a number of people in this congregation, Lord. I lift up Marilyn and Thelma, and Phyllis, and Mike, and Dave, and Polly, and Pearl, and June, and Tom, and Flora. Lord, the, the shut-ins who are unable to attend church on a regular basis, Lord, I pray that they might feel your love and still feel a part of this congregation. Lord, I lift up any who might be experiencing health concerns. I lift up Al, and Joyce, June, and Jobji, Larry, Pastor Carl, Tom, and Andy. Lord, I lift up, um, I just lift up them and their health concerns. I pray that you would, um, Lord, as the great physician, just offer them what they need. Lord, be um, present with them, Lord, through their, their sicknesses and their infirmities, Lord. And just remind us all, Lord, that sickness does not lead to death, Lord, but um, everlasting life with you, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, I also lift up Jesse and Mike, who are um, serving our country. Lord, I just pray that you give them safety. Lord, you allow them to be a witness right where they are. Lord, I pray for the search committee of, of this church, Lord, as they look for um, a more permanent pastor. Lord, I just pray that you would lead um, the man of your choosing to them, Lord, that it might be a good fit. Lord, that you would bless this church. Lord, that you would um, give this church work to do in, in Ellsworth and um, this corner of Michigan. Lord, I pray that you would just make that clear. And Lord, that, um, yeah, just the, the person of your choosing would come along. 
Lord, I lift up any other concerns in this church. Lord, I lift up um, just any hurt, any hard hearts, any, anything that might just get in the way of hearing your word this morning. Lord, I pray for the missionaries supported by this church and by all churches. Lord, I pray that you give them safety. Lord, that you give them um, the courage and the resources to do the work that you've called them to do. Lord, I pray that your gospel might spread to all four corners of this earth so that all might call upon your name and believe. Lord, I pray for our country. I pray that our politicians and the people in power might be men and women of your choosing. And Lord, that your will might be done because of us or despite of us, Lord. I pray above all things that Christ might be recognized as king. Lord, I pray for your kingdom come and your will be done. Lord, be with us now as we turn to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that your words, that my words may be your words and not mine, that anything that is not of you might fade away. We ask all of this in the gracious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right. So our scripture reading this morning is John 5, uh, 1 through, it should be 1 through 18. Um, Quick question, do you guys use the ESV or the NIV? NIV, okay. I have both of them here, so. All right. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, is a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me get up to the pool when the water is stirred. And while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which... This took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. Excuse me, sorry. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. The word of the Lord this morning. Thanks be to God God indeed. All right. It was meant to be a day of refreshment. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisees took this command to keep the Sabbath holy too far with with their Mishnah, it's their oral teachings around the Torah. It's their oral law. It's what, we call, what they called a fence around the law. Basically, it, you know, it was essentially rules about, about rules. They built this fence around the law 
so that you couldn't even approach breaking the law because this fence was in the way, right? So listen to some of the, the sort of rules, the, the unbiblical even rules that they came up with regarding the Sabbath. The Mishnah lists 39 primary kinds of labor that were not allowed on the Sabbath, including steps leading to the production and preparation of bread, which included sowing, plowing, reaping, binding sheaves, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, and baking. There are also rules against the preparation of clothing, from the shearing of uh, sheep to the actual sewing or knitting of garments. You couldn't prepare the carcass of a deer for use as food or leather. You couldn't write, build, or kindle and extinguish fires. You couldn't transport burdens from one place to another. That's the rule we see broken in our text this morning. There were also rules against walking too far. There was a, what we call like a, sun, a Sabbath's journey. You could only walk a certain amount of paces from your dwelling place. Otherwise, you'd be breaking the Sabbath. There were even rules against looking into a mirror and kindling or in lighting a candle. They considered lighting a candle the same as kindling a fire. So really what that means, uh, if you were a Jew 2,000 years ago, you could forget your Sunday stroll, your knitting, your cozy fire, your hobby baking, your journaling. Maybe you like to go hunting or fishing on a Sunday. You could forget all that. And that kind of sounds exhausting to me. In our passage this morning, Jesus does some incredible stuff on the Sabbath. But the nearsighted, puffed up, proud of their own righteousness, religious leaders couldn't see past their own rules about the Sabbath to see what Jesus was doing. And they really miss out. And so as we work our way through our text this morning, I want to guide us with three ideas. The sheep, the Savior, and the Sabbath. These are kind of three big ideas, three sort of um, places to focus our attention to walk us through what God has for us this morning. So why sheep? Why, why this image of sheep? We'll get a clearer picture when I give us a little bit of background information on the text. Let's jump into the passage. We join Jesus as he travels up to Jerusalem during a festival. This was probably, you know, a, a more important festival, maybe a, about a week long. Um, and this is the kind of festival that you'd expect any devout Jew to really travel Oh boy. They're all, they're all volunteer firefighters? Oh, okay. I was like I was like, what's happening? Okay. All right. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, let me start back. Uh let me let, let me back up a little bit. So we're gonna talk about sheep, right? We join Jesus as he uh he travels up to Jerusalem for this this religious festival this week-long religious festival. Um, and this is a, a festival that any devout Jew is meant to attend. So what you, know, what you would do, you would, you, know, you would travel to the temple, you would offer your sacrifices, you would, you, know, you would do the ritual purifications, you'd attend the feast, etc. Jesus heads up to Jerusalem, but instead of going to the temple to do these things, he heads past the temple to the pool of Bethesda's which were just north. The pools of Bethesda were, uh, were th- through the Sheep Gate. Now, it's called the Sheep Gate because when people would bring sheep to the temple to be offered as sacrifices, what the 
temple workers would do is they'd take the sheep through the sheep gate to these pools of Bethesda where they would wash the sheep in a pool kind of ritualistically before they were sacrificed. As time went on, this happened to be the place where invalids began to gather, believing that there was some sort of healing power in these pools. Now, these are the sheep in our story this morning. I think we need to see ourselves in these people. They were hopeless, helpless sinners. This gathering of invalids is actually kind of a familiar sight in Jesus' day in this sort of geographical region of the world. What was happening at the pools of Bethesda was common um, throughout the, the Mediterranean area. Many people believed in the healing of the Greek gods. Asclepius, the Greek god of medicine, had several shrines where the sick would gather, kind of very similar to these pools of Bethesda, awaiting a miracle. I wonder, was there something to these shrines or similar sites? You know, this man uh, in our text this morning presumably lay by these pools for most of his life. It says, our text says, he, you know, he was 38 years old. And in that time, you know, life expectancy wasn't very high. So this was kind of an older person. Now, if nobody was being healed at these pools or at these, you know, at these shrines, I, I don't, I'm not sure if people would have continued to gather there. So perhaps um, we can chalk it up to, to God's sort of common grace being poured out on people. Even though they're sort of approaching God with superstition, God responds with his provision. But the Bible really isn't clear about that. So what is, uh, what is this man in our text talking about this morning? He's talking about an angel coming down and stirring up the water. Archaeologists have discovered that these pools, these pools of Bethesda were fed by intermittent springs, which means that you know, an intermittent spring only flows at certain times of the day or certain times of the week. So perhaps beneath these pools, there was kind of a pocket or you know, a cave or something that would slowly fill up with groundwater. And when it was full, it would sort of bubble into the pool and it would churn this pool up. And, you know. So the superstition was that an angel was coming down and stirring up the waters and the first person to touch the water would be healed of their infirmities. And that's why this man was so dismayed. Again, some supernatural healing was probably happening because there were a lot of people in this area. But we're not really meant to focus on that. We're, we're meant to focus on the crippled man in this account. In his crippled state, he could not get to the pools, let alone be first. He had nobody to help him. And Jesus knew all of this. So as Jesus approaches him and asks his question, there's a lot of weight behind what Jesus is doing and asking, do you want to be healed? We, we hear this man respond with excuses and with self-pity rather than enthusiasm at Jesus' offer. You know, his will was probably just as paralyzed as his body. You know, and personally, I don't think I blame him because how trapped this man must have felt with healing mere steps away but no one to help him reach it, no friends to help him, and really just no hope to be found. I wonder if we've ever felt this way. Have we ever felt hopeless in life, unable to change what's happening around you? I know survivors of abuse and trauma know this feeling well. Maybe you feel utterly hopeless in the face of an addiction or a disease like cancer. Maybe it's a failing relationship 
with a spouse or a parent or child, or maybe you feel hopeless and helpless financially or in a legal sense. I think we can all call something to mind. Have you ever had a car, a long car ride with a cranky baby? Right around one and a half, my oldest son, Teddy, had a lot of difficulty traveling in the car, and my youngest son, Wally, is in that stage right now. Have you ever listened, or have you ever driven like six hours listening to a child cry the whole way, just kind of feel hope slowly slipping away? I think that's genuine helplessness, let me tell you. Maybe on a more serious note, Three and a half years ago, my wife and I found ourselves in the, um, in the NICU with our, our oldest who was born um, over two months early. And having a kid in the NICU was difficult. We could only really wait and watch as he kind of grew and got the strength to come home with us. And our case was a good one. Our son has a few health issues, but that's nothing compared to some of these babies and some of these parents. That's a place where, you know, hope is really in short supply. And I think hopelessness is kind of what it means to be a sheep. It means we're helpless. Understand this, in a spiritual sense, each and every one of us is just as helpless as the cripple in our story. We can't get to salvation ourselves. In our sin, we are utterly paralyzed, like the bedridden man destined for a life of meaningless suffering. Whether you've been a Christian for a day or for a lifetime, recognize that your sin is inescapable. Like that man, you need somebody to get you up. You need a Savior. So that's our second focal point this morning. We're going to look at Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John makes a pointed effort here uh, to make a, a spiritual connection by naming this area the Sheep Gate. The Gospel of John names Jesus both Lamb of God and the Good Shepherd. And so here is Jesus, the Shepherd, the Savior, on the Sabbath, entering a site that would really be off limits for any good, clean Jew. This is a place of uncleanliness, both spiritually and physically, full of invalids. And yet Jesus enters these colonnades to care for his sheep, to serve them both spiritually and physically. And I think this is a clue for us for what God sees as an exceptional use of the Sabbath. And in a, in a broader sense, this invalid, the, this group of invalids, is kind of a metaphor for the state of the nation at that time. They were an impotent people waiting hopelessly for something to happen to them. They were, they were waiting for their Messiah. They were waiting for their Savior. And it wasn't just these untouchables gathered around these pools. It was the religious leaders as well. And I think the same is true for us, for our nation today. A Savior is needed by all. And so these verses we read this morning give us a small glimpse into the world Jesus occupied and how he felt about it. Kind of picture the gulf between these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these scribes, these, you know, these people in the temple, and this mass of humanity gathered you know, mere yards north of the temple. Kind of think of the injustice that was occurring. Really try to un understand what Jesus was up to. Look at how the Pharisees responded to this man who was walking for the first time in 38 years. They were like, hey, buddy, 
Who told you you could carry your mat? It's the Sabbath. Instead of rejoicing in this man's deliverance, the religious leaders were condemning them from carrying a burden on the Sabbath and thereby breaking the law. What the religious leaders had done was taken the Sabbath, God's gift for man, and turned it into a prison house of rules and regulations. They turned it into something that really sucked the life out of people. The Pharisees were so concerned with their own holiness and piety that they completely missed the point of everything. They were absorbed in the letter of the law, and they forgot about the spirit of the law, which is loving God and loving your neighbor. I want to read a couple verses from Isaiah chapter 58. Now, these verses are about fasting, but I think they apply perfectly well here. You see, um, alongside keeping the Sabbath, these religious leaders um, focused on activities that were kind of external, were visible, so they would, you know, fast in a very public way to show everyone, this is how holy I am, look at me. And they did sort of the same thing with the Sabbath. It was very um, visual, it was very, you know, for show. So I think, you know, we can sort of kind of replace fasting with Sabbath keeping in this passage, and we get the same sense of, um, of what's going on. So this is Isaiah uh, 58, verses 6 and 7. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? And so when we read this passage from Isaiah, I think we see the heart of our Savior. Christ comes to break the yokes of injustice, to bring healing, to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked. Really what Christ is doing is what the religious leaders should have been doing all along. That's why they're there. That's why they've been appointed to those positions, to to really care for the sheep. And yet they've become focused on themselves and focused on proving to everyone around them about how holy they are. Jesus gets condemned for his actions. And I think that's because he makes people uncomfortable. Through his actions and his words, Christ really underlines the sin in everyone's life. He calls out their unloving hard-heartedness. So can we take a moment to be honest with ourselves? Are we ever so caught up in our lives that we become oblivious to those in need? Those who need God? Those who need restoration and justice healing and peace. I think it's easy to be part of a church. It's easy to come to church on Sunday, but at times it's hard to be a Christian. How are we doing these things listed in the verse from Isaiah? Are we turning away from our own flesh and blood, from fellow image bearers of God, from a neighbor in need, from a widow or a shut-in, from a difficult co-worker, I'm just as guilty and challenged by that question. These are things that I think about a lot and wonder, am I following God's call? And that's okay. I think that's kind of something we all need to sit in and and contemplate. How are we serving those around us? Because that's what Christ came to do. That's what true holiness looks like. That's what marks us as a true follower of Christ. 
it really speaks to the heart of the Sabbath. Because to Jesus, the Sabbath was something totally different than, the, than what the Pharisees saw it as. So that's our last focal point this morning is the Sabbath. When we read this story, we need to see all the intentionality with which Jesus acted. He came to Jerusalem on a day when he knew he'd have an audience. He wanted to really antagonize these Pharisees, challenge their cold-heartedness, and send a message about the Sabbath. He has this power to send a message because he's God, right? His authority comes from the fact that he is God's son. And this is the reason why the religious leaders wanted his blood. They really ignored the miraculous things he did for them and for the poor and sick, the helpless and hopeless, and they thought only to destroy him. One commentator writes, when they confronted Jesus with his unlawful conduct, he simply replied that he was doing only what his father was doing. God's Sabbath rest had been broken by man's sin, and ever since the fall of man, God has been seeking lost sinners and saving them. Think about that. God hasn't been in Sabbath rest since the fall of man. God has been at work since then restoring lost sinners to himself. And so that's what Jesus is doing. He's bringing true Sabbath rest, an everlasting Sabbath rest that restores, that brings justice. That's what the Pharisees were missing. So when we read through the Gospels, we kind of see uh, what Jesus gets up to on the Sabbath. The Bible lists seven miraculous healings performed on the Sabbath. Christ encourages people to love their neighbor on the Sabbath, even when doing so um, breaks these oral traditions around the law. There's even a moment in, the, in one of the Gospels when Jesus and his disciples are picking grain as they walk along because they're hungry, which, according to the Pharisees, breaks the, the rules around, you know, harvesting grain. Apparently that was work. But Christ wanted to feed his disciples on the Sabbath. And so what does this tell us about God's intentions for this day? Think about that for a moment. For the lame man, the Sabbath was just another day of suffering and disappointment. For the Pharisees, the Sabbath was a day of rules used to prove one's own piety and holiness. Often for me, the Sabbath is a day to catch up on schoolwork or do dishes that are piling up. But to Jesus, the Sabbath is about restoration. Jesus himself says the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is about God seeking lost sinners and inviting them into his rest. It is about encountering a God of abundant grace and mercy, one who isn't crippling us with his rules, but lifting us up and placing us on our feet, giving us the strength to walk, renewing our spirits for the work he has set before us. The Sabbath is a day in which God gives us the power to walk. It's an, our, it's an opportunity for our spirits to become uncrippled. So I hope we can find ways to tap into that. I hope we can sit in wonder at this restoration of God the Father. Because we see a lost sinner in our passage this morning. And what does Jesus mean when he tells the man to go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to him? I think Christ is driving at the point of healing and restoration, salvation in general. This man was crippled for most of his lifetime. 
but there's a fate worse than lifelong paralysis, and that's eternal death because of sin. Without Jesus, everyone in our story, everyone in the Bible, is bound for hell. Without Jesus, everyone in this building is bound for hell. Without Jesus, our world is bound for hell. We cannot save ourselves by following the letter of the law like the Pharisees. But there is hope because Jesus is our Sabbath. His work on the cross means that we can finally rest in an in a eternal sense. He ushers in a freedom bought with his own blood. We are free from the yoke of living under the law and proving our piety like the Pharisees by rules and work. So please don't see the Sabbath as a day of rules or a day of things you can't do. Don't see the Sabbath as a day to feel guilty for all the busyness in your lives. Instead, use the Sabbath as an opportunity to seek God's face. Try to have a different sort of day. Do something that fills you with energy, hope, or peace. Do something that makes you feel refreshed and connected with God. This day is meant to be unique because it represents the grace of a Savior. Take advantage of that gift. And know this as well. The Sabbath is not something that only happens on Sunday. It isn't simply a day. It's a calling. Think of the Sabbath in a spiritual sense. Those who have tasted true Sabbath rest, who have been lifted from inescapable sin by God's sheer grace and mercy, must work to invite others into that rest. God longs to invite us all into this rest that frees us from the burden of self-righteousness, of self-justification, frees us from the kind of work that wears down our very souls. This is the task that God calls each and every one of us to. This is the work of every Christian. This is a work that brings life to us and to others. So I pray this morning, church, that you would go out and enjoy your Sabbath, but also remember to bring Sabbath rest to everyone you meet. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you for an opportunity to find rest in you. Lord, please let the Sabbath for us not be a day of rules, but a day of intentionality. Lord, where we sit and wonder at you, at your grace, at your mercy, at your restoration. Lord, I pray that you would meet us all afresh today as we rest, as we look to you, Lord, as we contemplate what all of this means. And Lord, in a, in a broader sense, I pray that you would just give each and every one of us a clear idea of the work you want us to do. Lord, of the people you want us to serve, 